Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, which is what we call the great chapter or the hall of faith. Not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. We're ending a series today on resources, on God's vision for our finances called Two Masters. Two Masters. Of course, it comes out of the Great Commission where, or excuse me, the, the, um, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, or what we call the Constitution of the Christian Life, where Jesus said no one can serve two masters. Either you hate one or despise one and love the other, or you serve one and don't serve the other. And uh, I talked in week one about the premise, about the priority of our hearts. Last or Week two, Pastor Chad preached on money mentalities. Week number three, I preached on uh, what does it mean to really have to fear the Lord and have great wisdom as it relates to our finances. And, uh, and then last week, Pastor Chad uh, preached the second part of money mentalities. And over the last few weeks, I, as I've been gearing up for this five Sunday month, I felt myself consistently trying to go to this area. And, um, and so I just feel that the Lord has put this on my heart for our congregation today as it relates to where we are, not only personally, but where we are as a community of faith. And I want to talk today about the life of faith. Everybody say faith. I'm going to title today's message, Our Future, Don't Look for Shortcuts, Play the Long Game. Our Future, Don't Look for Shortcuts, but Play play the Long Game. I want to talk to you today about what it means to follow God and live a life of faith. What does it really mean to follow God? Hebrews chapter 11, as we're going to turn, we're going to look at Moses, and we're going to see what Moses has to teach us. Now, are you ready? You ready? I told him in the early gathering, you're as ready as you are for summer to continue on, right? That's not really ready at all, right? Are you as ready as you are for fall temperatures to come next weekend? Anybody ready? Okay, all right, cool. So we, we're there, all right. Hebrews chapter 11, let's start, um, let's start in verse 23. I hope you enjoy the 95 degree weather tomorrow. Uh, verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, by faith, everybody say by faith. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. The child was gifted. The child was graced. And, watch this, they were not afraid of the king's edict. The parents weren't afraid of the king's edict. By faith, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing, this is an interesting statement, rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I would rather be mistreated with God's people than to enjoy or lavishly enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater Wealth and the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to his reward. Hopefully the blanks are being filled in because you've watched the Prince of Egypt. And so, so now you're getting, or VeggieTales, I don't know what you've watched. But you're seeing it fill in right now. Watch this. Verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king or the edict of the king, for he endured. He endured. He endured, 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 whatever you want to call it, endured or endured, I don't know, endured, endured, I'm going to vacillate between both, so that way everybody's happy, okay? So he endured and endured, okay? He endured as seeing, watch this, him who is invisible, he endured, endured as seeing him who is invisible. Invisible. We today, you ready? We today are going to talk about the all-popular, important subject in the Christian faith called endurance. Good old sticking with it. 
Good old not turning back. Good old staying faithful. Good old not looking back. Good old not giving up. And you're like, this is the day I invited my friend to church. Yes. This is the day. This is perhaps going to be the sexiest sermon we had in this series. Just a good old sticking it out. Just sticking it out. Endurance. Let me read verse 27 again. By faith, he left Moses, Egypt, not being afraid of the edict of the king or anger of the king. For he endured, he endured, as seeing him who is invisible. Now, before I pray we kick this party off, let me give you some context. Let me give you some context. This is written by an unknown author. We do not know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. We do know, though, that it was written to first century Jews that are under the tyranny of Rome and the persecution of Rome because of their belief in Jesus. Things are not bad. Things have gone from bad to worse. They're losing their houses. Their houses are being burned down. There are Jews, any Christian Jews who have said, I trust in Jesus as Savior of my life. I trust in Jesus as being the provision for the sin of mankind. I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. These Jews had done so. And the message had spread like wildfire, not just to the Gentile people, but also to the Jews. So the Jews had started believing, and now all of a sudden they are being persecuted. But not just persecuted, they're being executed. They're being ignored in the marketplace. They're being marginalized in society. They're being ostracized from anybody else in the culture. It is not going well for Jesus followers that are Jews. It is for this reason that our writer writes to people in the first century who are receiving persecution under the tyranny of the Roman Empire. And he says in multiple chapters, and he's writing to multiple groups, not just one group of Jews, but multiple groups. And he says in multiple chapters, whatever you do, Don't go back. Whatever you do, don't turn back. Continue to follow Jesus. Continue the life of faith in Jesus. And so by the time we get to Hebrews 11, we're looking at the whole old heroes of faith. We're looking at all the Old Testament heroes. We're looking at all of them and how they, these famous Jewish heroes, and the writer speaks to them and he says to these first century Jews, Hey, look at Abraham. He anticipated the Messiah. He was anticipating Jesus. Look at Enoch. He walked with God. Look at Abel. He offered a great grain offering or a meat offering. Look at Enoch. Look at Rahab, who was not afraid. They're all looking for Jesus. Now, by the time he writes the Hebrews, they have seen Jesus. Jesus has now come, and Jesus is back at the Father. So by the time we get to the most famous Jew in all of the Bible which his name is Moses, the great prophet, the great friend of God, it becomes very clear that the writer of Hebrews is going to remind us of how much Moses actually endured. Moses, as we will see, he will show us Moses, come on y'all, has incredible endurance. Why? Because he anticipated a Messiah. He looked forward to a Savior. And the writer is encouraging these believers that are under persecution. You will need this endurance too. I would like to suggest today to us at the outset of this message that perhaps the greatest need for our church in this season and for your life personally is that you need endurance as well. You need endurance as well. In fact, what I would like to do is I'd like to prove to you That endurance is one of, if not, the most underrated skills in life. An underrated skill. The ability to stay where you are. The ability to stick it out. The ability to not run. The ability to not shift directions. The ability to keep moving forward. The ability to be okay with the mundane and monotonous in seasons. The ability to not jump ship. The ability to not be on crack cocaine of experience. Of looking for the next high or the next spiritual desire. Or, or the, just, just the ability to keep progressing. The ability to keep at it. The ability to not look back. The ability to not give up. The ability to not turn around. To not give up. That is a... A very underrated skill in our culture. Hey, while we're on the topic, because it's always fun to do this, and your pastor wants to be a friendly neighborhood pastor, let me go ahead and say to you today, when looking, if you're single, for a spouse, 
with which whom you desire to spend the rest of your life, might I suggest that you look for someone who kind of sticks with stuff? Might I suggest that might benefit you in the long term? Somebody who doesn't pull out, somebody who doesn't turn away, somebody who doesn't acquiesce or vacillate between positions, who's not got a new hobby every 27 days, who's not pursuing some other endeavor every two weeks, who wants a new job every three months. Look, listen, single people, I'm going to help you. Look for someone who is really good at sticking with projects and beliefs. Really highly underrated. And it's with that advice I will pray. Father, thank you that you endured in Jesus' name. Amen. Endurance. Endurance. Now, it's true that all of us speak from our current context. We speak from the reality of the experience that we have. Now, I'm 33 years of age, and the older I get, there is a reason that I like endurance. Now, even in my early to mid-20s, I never thought about endurance, to be honest with you. Right? Never thought about endurance. I still, I still pull in college all-nighters as much as I wanted to. I mean, I really did. I was eating shredded chicken mini quesadillas every day from Taco Bell. I was wearing out more than just a cheesy bean and rice burrito for 99 cents, but I was eating Mexican pizzas. I was eating quesadillas, right? I can't do it. I was eating beef. I'm looking forward to the kingdom one day, folks, when beef gets reintroduced to my diet. The kingdom's going to be a great moment. But, but I didn't even look towards endurance in my mid-20s. But now, here I am, and and to be honest with you, I've been married now 12 years. I told them in the earlier gathering, I'm, just, I'm being honest with you, that there are few things in life that I'm more proud of than that. I've been married 12 years. 12 years. In fact, Meredith and I sometimes will be in discussion sometimes, and I'll say, girl, I've been at this 12 years. <laughs> been at this 12 years, baby. Dozen years. You know? I, y'all, y'all, don't even, y'all don't even want to see me when I hit 20 years. When we hit 20 years, okay, I'm going to be walking down the street talking to Perfect strangers. Hey, how you doing? I've been married 20 years. God bless you. You've been married 20 years. When I get to 30 years, I'm going to personally be giving advice, marriage advice to people that don't ask me. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going to go up to them and say, hey, I've been married. I've been walking with this woman three decades. So what I've learned about marriage is, that's right, endurance, endurance. You get older, but there's something in our culture that as you get older, you think, man, this is kind of cool. I've been at this a little bit. I've been at it a little bit. I got hired as a pastor when I was about to turn 20 years old. So I, now I'm 33 years old, and i got to tell you, that feels nice sometimes. That feels nice. I've been at it almost 14 years. I've been pastoring just 10 years shy of how long Tom Brady's been in the NFL. This kid's immortal. I mean, this dude is immortal. If he played for a team I liked, I would praise him. But, I mean, dude, we're going to be 63 out here throwing dimes? I mean, come on. In Tennessee, we can't even get a middle scorer to play for our team. But <laughs> endurance, it eventually speaks for itself. It really does. It eventually speaks for itself. You run into people throughout your life, someone doing your nails, massaging your back, aligning your spine. Massaging your feet. Somebody's cleaning your teeth. Somebody's changing your oil. Somebody's changing your tires. Somebody's cutting your hair. And you ask them, have you ever done this before? Hey, hey, hey how long have you been doing this? They say, oh, about six months. Whoa, 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 whoa. I might not need a haircut. You know, I might, I might not need a haircut. You know, you, you ever done this before? Like, I, I, you know, I, I'm good. But, but if you ask somebody, hey, how long have you been doing this? And they say, I've been doing this 42 years. You're like, that's pretty cool. 42 years, something in our culture still believes that endurance is noble. Even though we run to and fro, we look at our parents' generation who stuck with the same businesses for 30, 40, 50 years, and we don't even want to stick with our business three weeks, right? Now, there's, there's, there's fault on both sides. It's businesses and employers are not given benefits that our parents' generation often gave. But the reality is we like to bounce around a little bit. We like to move left and... We live in a very unusual culture in America because we don't like endurance. We don't want to talk about it. Like, I know right now how exactly how to write a book that no one will ever read. 
New York Times no reading list. Here it is. You name it. Endurance. How to just stick with stuff you're doing. Sound like a great title. How to just stick with stuff that you're doing. I mean, if you're a public speaker, there's a ton of topics to choose from. Let me tell you, endurance is probably not top shelf. Like, it's not sexy to talk about endurance. But come on, church, when you run into someone who can follow through, I'm telling you, in the church, when you run into somebody who is faithful to do what they said they're going to do, when you, when you run into somebody who's a friend who likes to stick with things, when you run into somebody who doesn't back up, when you run into somebody who keeps at it even when the going gets tough, when you run into somebody who doesn't t- change their word or go back on their word, I'm just telling you, in our culture, when you run into that kind of person, it's just flat out attractive. It's just flat out attractive. I tell the young men all the time, if you just show up for church and follow Jesus for about a good three years, there's any gal on the planet you want, you can get. I mean, just be faithful, bro. Just be consistent. Just keep moving forward. Just stick it out. Don't turn to the left or the right. And so what I want to do is I want to help you grow in the area of sticking it out. Grow in the area of what God has for you and enduring what God has for us. So how do you stick with what you start? How do you keep following Jesus on the days where it feels like Jesus is as real as Alf in the sitcom? Anybody remember Alf? (laughs) I told him in the younger younger gathering, do not Google that right now because he'll scare you, okay? My dad dressed up as Alf in 1989. I was three years old. I still hadn't recovered. Because there are days, am I preaching to anybody, where God feels as real as Batman. There are days where God feels as real as Superman. Or like our brothers and sisters in the first century who are getting their houses burned down, who are getting their heads cut off, who are getting their businesses closed down. And since following Jesus, things have gotten worse. They've not gotten bad. They've gotten Worse to worse. They've gotten the worst they have been. And implicit within the definition of endurance is this. It's to stick with things even when you don't feel like it. Stick with it. Have you ever met somebody who was a quitter? That's not something to be proud of. I'm a quitter, yeah, and I'm really uncomfortable over here quitting. You just leave me alone, okay? I just... I mean, no, we don't, we're not. What, what if we could join the audience of persecuted Christians that are first century Jews being tormented, overlooked, ostracized, but life is getting difficult and hard. And maybe if we join today, listen, and the reason that's so hard is because everything in our mind and our heart wants to do different, something different when the going gets tough, right? The last thing you want someone to say to you when you're going through a hard time is you just need endurance and you are like you just need to shut up because you don't want to move forward let's listen to the writer as the writer goes way back in time to pull out a Jewish hero named Moses and he uses Moses as an example how is it that Moses had such extraordinary endurance that's the question today How did Moses have such extraordinary... You want to talk about challenge? You want to talk about calamity? You want to talk about some tough decisions in life? Moses, my friends, lived a life. Now, I told you, he's writing to Hebrews. You and I may not... We may not be as familiar with the narrative in Exodus as the people he's writing to. Now, remember I told you his audience. His audience are people who have spent their whole childhood, their whole adolescence and teenagehood studying the books of Moses, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. That's all they did. They knew all about Moses. So they're familiar with Moses. And it's interesting to me that the writer begins to start picking out events from Moses' life. And I used to think that he just kind of picked out some random events, but I don't know. He picks out very specific events in Moses' life to reveal to the audience that Moses, too, had to endure a lot. And I want to remind us And pull out some points that we can learn from Moses' story. So endurance is not just left to the elite professionals. But endurance may be for ordinary people who just run to their mailbox every evening. And that's the secret, isn't it? Endurance is not a gift that's given. It has to be developed. Endurance has to be cultivated. Endurance can't be given 
to someone. And I don't know, last time I checked, developing endurance is not always enjoyable and not always fun. It's not. But before we go any further, I'd like to reiterate to us as a community, I think we can all agree that a little more endurance in our life would be a good thing. A little more endurance in our relationship would be a good thing. A little more stick to it in our experience would be a good thing. If we as a church are going forward, you and I could develop more ability, more courage, more strength, more fortitude, more desire to stick with what we say and do. And if we do, our journey on earth might be a little bit better. Who am I kidding? Let's be specific. Frankly, let me go ahead and tell you, if you could get some endurance, you would become a better friend. Let me just go ahead and tell you, if you want to be a spouse, if you're married, I can guarantee you, if you stick with stuff, you're going to be a better spouse. You're going to be a whole lot better spouse. So you want to improve at your workplace? You'll be a better employee. You'll be a better boss. You'll be a better neighbor. You get more endurance, you'll be a better human being. Think how, how much endurance could help the mission of Christ in our day and age. Stick with it. He said in verse 27, by faith Moses left Egypt. He wasn't afraid of the king's edict and he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I have three points to give you today. What I want to do, I want to frame this word faith and then I want to give you the points. So let me frame the word faith, then we'll go to the three points. When we use the word faith, everybody say faith. I want you to keep something in mind. The word faith, for many of us, because of our faith tradition, because of how we've grown up, our nation, many of us, when we think of faith, we think of faith is someone who can risk a lot and trust a lot and believe in God a lot, but that's not actually a good definition of faith at all. In fact, if you look at the Greek word for faith, the word is pistis. I'll go ahead and tell you, I took a picture on my screen last night. Pistis actually does not mean have trust in God, not believing in God. No, no. Faith is a gift from God, and faith is about persuasion. That's what pistis means. It means to be persuaded. It means to be persuaded, to have persuasion. You've got to understand, faith is a gift from God. And the Bible says it's by grace, by promise, that you have received salvation. It's through faith. This faith is not your own. It's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. What's he saying? Can I just say something? When it comes to saving faith, hear me, church, faith in a God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, you've got to understand you cannot manufacture that faith within yourself you cannot manufacture faith that would save you if you could manufacture that faith you would in essence save yourself so you can't manufacture saving faith it is a gift from God Almighty and that is impossible because the Bible says that we are all dead, we are all lost, we are all broken, we are all in our error, we are all in sin, we are all in our selfishness. So I actually don't have the ability to conjure up faith in God enough to save myself. Faith is a gift from God. But notice that faith means persuasion. It means persuasion. So what I did in my New Testament, as I went through my New Testament, I took out the word faith and I put persuasion. So it's by persuasion, Abraham, by persuasion, Moses, by persuasion, Rahab, by persuasion, Enoch, by persuasion, Barak, right? Jephthah, by persuasion, Deborah. Now, who is doing the persuading? Moses is not persuading Moses. Moses is being persuaded by God. Let me say this about Dwelling Place Church, all right? This is a non-manipulation, fear-mongering community. This is a non-manipulatory community. If I can talk someone into believing in Jesus, then they can be talked out of it. If I can convince somebody logically to follow the Lord, then someone can convince them logically to not follow the Lord. DP, this church does not exist for you to invite your friends to come here so that Pastor Chad or Pastor Craig can convince them logically. There is a God. Why don't you accept him as Lord and start to serve in our church? No, that's weird. That's custom. That's tradition. That's mind over matter. That's kind of logic. That's the wars of logic. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible to please God without faith. And that faith is a gift from God that is divine persuasion. One of the foundations of this church is that we're going to let God be God. This is divine persuasion, not people persuasion, not preacher persuasion. My goodness, y'all, if there actually is a God, isn't he God enough to persuade people to follow him? If there is actually a God, isn't he God enough to show his goodness to them? I don't know if y'all know this. God's good at being God. 
He's really good at it. And we act like we little finite humanoids. We think it's up to us to defend our God to a culture that don't believe in Him, right? Wait, you don't like Jesus? Why? Well, you're wrong! And I'm going to raise my volume! You know, like... like he, he gave me the voice to give the volume. I mean, it's like... I mean, if God is God, can't God persuade people? So at DP, please understand, as we grow, we are not intimidated by anyone that doesn't believe in Jesus. Somebody comes to our church and says, man, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm like, thanks. Woo! That's refreshing. Thank you, man. Appreciate you being non-follower. I appreciate that so much. Why? Because it's refreshing. We... Who are we pretending? Why are we pretending? What's there to pretend about? If Jesus is God, surely Jesus can convince us and persuade us to follow him. Y'all, I don't know how to say it. I'll say it this way. I am not here today because I am a pastor. And I'm not here today on this stage because I made some decision that I was going to be in ministry. I am here today because I have been divinely persuaded it's not people persuasion. It is not preacher persuasion. I have been divinely persuaded. So people, anybody wants to get me to doubt, you come too long. You, you come too late. I'm divinely persuaded. He has divinely persuaded me. He is real. He loves me. And he's a good father that wants to give good things to me. I'm divinely persuaded. I can't, I'm going to the grave persuaded. Divinely persuaded. And the Bible says by divine persuasion. Moses lived the life he lived. Let me make this clear. You want endurance in your life? You want to stick with it? You want to have the ability to move forward? It's going to be predicated on the fact, has God persuaded you or not? Well, Pastor Craig, you're not really, you're not really giving us much to do here. No, correct? Because this is about God, and it's for God, and it's through God, and it's going to end in God. So he's going to persuade you. And if you're going to stick with God, let me tell you something. If you're going to walk with God for a lifetime, your biggest, your relationship with God, the biggest sticking glue in your relationship is not you, it's God. And I have learned through many seasons of walking with God, I have learned that I need him to come and persuade me again. And I heard this last night in my spirit as I was praying for this morning. I heard this. There's people here this morning. For many of you, God knows this morning that you need God to persuade you again. He knows. Now, now listen. Oh, I already believe in God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God persuading you of his attributes. I'm talking about God persuading you that he is a good God. I'm talking about God persuading you of his character and what he actually does. Because some of us, we start to conclude based upon our challenges, on our trials, on our extended seasons without what feels like grace, our seasons, our sicknesses, our disease, our cancer, our pain, our hurts, our challenges, our bitterness, our disgruntledness, our offense, our worry, our panic attacks, our fear, our anxiety, our challenges, our, our relationships breaking down. We start becoming conclusion that God God can't do this anymore or God won't do this anymore or God doesn't do this and God we need God to come persuade us again hey Craig I actually still do do miracles I actually still do we need to be divinely persuaded we need God to persuade us again here's what the writer of Hebrews is doing, he's writing to Christians under the tyranny of Rome. And he says, I'd like to draw your attention to the birth of Moses. Of which he had nothing to do with. Just like you had nothing to do with your birth. You just kind of came. Isn't that kind of crazy? By faith, he was born. Okay, did he have faith? Did he want anything? <laughs> I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's just by, by divine persuasion, he was born. By divine persuasion. Which is ironic because his parents say that when they had him, they looked at him and they had this sense of, man, where'd that come from? God. Now, the, the text says he was beautiful. Please understand, when, when it says he was beautiful, it's not saying that Moses was pretty. Okay, maybe he was. Maybe he was attractive. But the point here is he was graced. He was gifted. There was something on that boy. There was something special about that boy. And his parents hide him from the king's edict. They hide him and they put him in a 
ark of bulrushes to send him down the river, right? They hide him from the king's edict. It's interesting, the Bible says they were not afraid of the king's edict. Ladies and gentlemen, PSA, are you ready? It is Pharaoh's edict, not the king's edict that they were not afraid of. What? Yeah, yeah. Pharaoh would have never been referenced as the king, and yet the writer of Hebrews says they weren't afraid of the king's edict, not the Pharaoh's edict. What is he saying? It's a play on words to try to get them to know, hey, I know that you're under, you you have some wreaking havoc in your life from the king's edict right now in Rome. Let me tell you something. Moses, he had some edicts in his time too. So the writer says, I'm not going to call him Pharaoh. I'm going to call him king, even though he was never a king. Because you're under a king. He wasn't afraid of the king's edicts. First thing that Moses needed to hear, that the Hebrews needed to hear in order to endure is this. You ready? Moses was a miracle. Moses was God's miracle baby. Moses was God's miracle baby. Jesus was God's miracle baby. Moses, of course, is a type of Christ. Moses grew up. Yeah, he grew up. He knew his story. But guess what he was persuaded of when he grew up? Moses was persuaded about this reality. I am a miracle. Moses knew he was an ori. He knew he was a miracle. And he believed he was a miracle. I got one question for us today. Ready? I got one single question for us. Do you believe you are a miracle? Do you believe you are a miracle? That seems so simple, we just want to dismiss it from our minds and go to the next point, but don't. Don't today. Don't. We're going we're to sit here and marinate for a minute. Do you believe you are actually a miracle? I bet there's 50 reasons why you shouldn't be alive today. I bet there's 50 reasons why you shouldn't be here right now. I bet there's 25 reasons I could come up really quickly why you shouldn't be here today. You beat the odds just being here. Congratulations. You are a miracle. Just the fact of your existence is a miracle. You know what gave Moses a little stick to it? A little stay with it? A little wherewithal? Moses believed he was a miracle. He believed he was a miracle. Do you believe you are a miracle? Do you believe you are chosen by God? Do you believe that God intricately wove you together? Do you believe God has carefully crafted your life to ensure you live in Georgia on September 29, 2019? Do you believe that? Do you believe you are a miracle? Do you believe there are times God hid your life from danger? Do you believe there are times God puts you in an ark of bulrushes when alligators and crocodiles were all around and yet you were sealed by God and his love and his protection and nothing could strike you? Do you believe there's times where God actually hid you and protected you? I understand. Listen, I had great parents. And maybe there's those that didn't have great parents, but, but I actually, I actually about came out about six months. My mom was on bed rest for the last three months. They actually had to put a net to hold me up. I was coming out way too early. And so the doctor said, well, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be healthy or not, if he's going to make it or not. And so I grew up, even though we didn't follow Christ in my home, my mom always took the opportunity to say to me, son, you are a miracle. You are a miracle. Even in this season of life, she's told me multiple times, Satan tried to take you out, but you are a miracle. So I grew up believing I am a miracle. You say, Craig, why are you telling? Oh, that helps me. Oh, God, you believe you're a miracle. No, I'm saying I believe I'm a miracle, but I also want to convince you that you are too. You are too. You're a miracle. You and I should think about that more. Whoa. I am a miracle. And even if I'm not, man, I should have lost my mind a few years back. How do I still have sanity? Man, I... Let yourself go there a little bit. Why? Moses did. Moses did. I'm a miracle. Moses believed he was chosen. Moses believed he was... God had a plan for his life. And one of the reasons I think people's endurance tank gets so low is because some of you, you think that you're just run-of-the-mill average and there's no such thing in God's kingdom. There is no run-of-the-mill. Listen, you exist because God wanted to have one of you. There's no other reason you're here. God wanted one of you. You are fearfully and wonderfully and intricately and intimately put together by the designer of the ages. He wired you. He crafted you. He chose you. He designed you. You are a miracle by definition. I wonder if things in your life would change in your perspective if you left this gathering today actually accepting the fact that you are a miracle. 
We could talk to your aunt and she'd tell me you're a miracle. Yeah, she would. We could talk to your grandma, your dad, your mom, your grandpa, your cousins. We could talk to your great-grandmother. And she, oh, he was the boy we always wanted. Whoa, we were always, man, that's the boy we always desired. I, I could talk to your grandparents and they would say, you are a miracle. You're a miracle. You beat the odds being here. So if you're going to first and foremost learn to endure, you've got to believe, number one, you've got to have God persuade you, you are a miracle. You are anything but ordinary. You're anything but ordinary. You're fashioned by the creator, God. You're a miracle. Here's the second thing we've got to know and understand. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. The Bible says in verse 24, 25, By divine persuasion, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By divine persuasion, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Now watch this next statement. Rather than... Be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. i got to tell you something about these verses, okay? You ready? Leave them up just for a minute. For the life of me, y'all, for the life of me, I cannot find any record of these instances happening in Exodus. Okay? I, I can't find these instances happening in Exodus. You can't go to Exodus 2 and it says, Moses, at 29 years old, came barging into Pharaoh's court one day and said, Pharaoh... Ah, you're not even my dad. Take your rubies and royal diamonds and purple coats. I'd rather go out and be poor with the servants of Israel. Ah, I don't, I don't even like you. I don't even want to be your son anymore. That never happened. Well, well, it did, but, but here's the point. You can't go back to the Torah and say, oh, that's, that's where Moses did that. No, 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 look, look, look. Verse 24, 25, 26, there is a message in that message. There's a message that the writer is trying to portray to us. What are you saying, Craig? Hebrews, they're, they're, they're people that know Moses. They're thinking, um, I don't remember that in Exodus. They're thinking, Moses considered the reproach of Christ? We're talking about Christ? Moses? Christ? Mm, different era. What do you mean Moses was considering the reproach of Christ? And some of the most potent verses in all of the Bible about Moses, verse 24, 25, 26, right here, they are not big events, but they are, watch this, what happened little by little, day by day. Oh, I wish I'd have known this back in December, man. I wish the Lord encouraged me back then. Because, because the, the, the understanding of endurance had nothing to do with big Alamo moments for Moses. It had to do with day by day, little by little, little by little. Evidently, there was no one big moment where Moses barges in and says, I hate this. I'm going to the desert for 40 years until I meet Zipporah. And Jethro hires me. And then a bush talks to me. And I come back and liberate all these. Two million Jews from me. No, 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 no. It never happens. Never happens. It was little by little. Here, here's what Moses did. He, he, as a young boy, started saying, Oh, you, you guys are drinking. Uh, well, that, that's not me. Oh, you, you guys are involved in that kind of activity. Uh, that's not me. Oh, you, everybody's, well, that's not me. We think endurance is these big, huge, massive events where we're like, yeah, this is the Alamo for Jesus. Let's take the gland. But that's not endurance, and that's never how Jesus operates in our life day to day. It's never how it happens. Endurance is, can I say it, somewhat uneventful. Endurance is uneventful. It's just like this. I'm still here. Good morning. Eat my breakfast. Read my Bible. Go to work. Encourage my friends. Get off work. Go home. Eat dinner. Love my kids. Pray to God. Go to bed. Wake up. Good morning. Read my Bible. Eat breakfast. Go to work. Encourage my friends. Come home. Eat dinner. Pray for my babies. 
Love my babies. Go to bed. Good morning. Read my Bible. Eat breakfast. Go to work. Go home. Eat dinner. Love my babies. Go to bed. Listen, I'm not saying that life is dull and monotonous, but what I am telling you is that the life of endurance and the life of following Jesus is not big moments. Yes, life is amazing. And yes, life is pretty wild following Jesus. But listen, endurance is not a great standoff where you stand before Pharaoh and say, i rather follow God than this opulence. Just little by little. Day by day. That's not, that's not for me. And over time, Moses realized something. And the writer of Hebrews goes all the way back, thousands of years, and the writer looks at the body of work of Moses' life and says, Moses, he gave up the opulence and the rubies and the diamonds of Egypt to go serve with God and his people. And watch this statement. I love this statement. This is quickly becoming one of my favorite statements on sin in the whole Bible. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says this is how Moses viewed sin. He was willing, choosing to be mistreated with the people of God rather, watch this, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You want some endurance in your relationship with God? You really want endurance? Listen to me, okay? Listen to me, particularly if you in here that you feel a call to leadership in some capacity at this church or what God has for you, ministerial leadership in your future. Please hear me. I want to be clear. I want to be blunt. I don't want to be rude, but I want to be very honest. Sometimes we are in denial about our own capacity and the sphere that we can actually steward faithfully is often a lot smaller than the grandeur of what we imagine God should entrust us with. If he gave us what we wanted, it would actually damage us. So the reality is if you're here today and you're hearing, wait on God, wait on God, wait on God, wait on God, you know you didn't get that from the devil, okay? Because he wants you to do anything but wait on God. He wants you to step in front of God, put your hands on this thing, grab life by the horns, make something of yourself, do something, get in God's plan, come on, make it happen, rah, rah, rah. But when you hear wait on God, I promise you Satan is not saying that. That's not Satan's voice. So it's little by little and day by day. You got to have God persuade you you're a miracle. Number two, you got to have God persuade you that the fun of sin is fleeting. You got to have God persuade you the fun of sin is fleeting. It is fleeting. God persuade us that the fun of sin. Is there such thing as fun of sin? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. People say sin ain't fun. I'm like, dude, you are a terrible sinner then, dude. You need to get some counseling. God, go find somebody that's good at this. I mean, seriously, people say, I mean, really? It's fun sin? Yes. Sin is fun. Real fast. That's what sin is. Sin is really, really fun. Real fast. That's how sin is. It's fleeting. That's the problem with sin. People say, I hate sin. I I, I know what you mean. You don't want to be involved in sin. I know you love God. I hate you the world. I I got it all. I I I understand what you... But listen, we're all in this thing together, okay? We ain't got no elite group in DP saying, oh, I've been following Jesus a bit. I have no desires of sin in me. (laughs) Put me on the Connect Group leadership team, please. People say, sin ain't even real. It ain't even real. Are you serious, folks? Like, we're in this together. Sin is selfishness. Sin is making decisions for self, by self, so that self gets glorified, that self moves forward, that's based on self. It's error, it's wrong, it's pain. People say, oh, I'm just going to sin, and I ain't going to affect nobody. PSA, folks, we as human beings are created in the image of God. Therefore, we by necessity are interconnected beings. There is no such thing as you sinning and it not affecting people around you. That's just the facts. You are connected to other people. Your sin affects others. Their sin affects you. Sin affects us all. Sin is a selfish life. It's making, and feelings then start becoming your God for life. And sin is fun. And then it's not. Oh, sin is just, uh, it's not. Oh, I'm going to try it again. It's going to be, oh, God, oh, dear God, I feel dirty. Oh, yeah, it's going to be... Oh, 
I used to say working with young people for over 10 years, if it's not fun in the morning, is that really fun? Or is that just a crude form of torture? Is it fun the next morning? Is it sustaining? Is it fun that keeps you? Because see, sin is just always, it puts fun right out of our grasp. Uh, And we miss it. And what are we left with after we sin? Contentment? Anybody ever sin and say, oh, I just feel so full. <laughs> I just feel so amazing. Woo, love of Jesus in me. Confidence to approach the Lord's throne of grace in a time of need there to obtain ter- mercy and help. <laughs> Woo, I feel contentment. Contentment is in my soul today. Sinned two times last night. Feel great to preach this morning. Tell me if you've ever heard this statement before. Man, pornography has improved my overall well-being by 25%. <laughs> I mean, it just... It's just really, really helping my life right now. You know, why are you so happy? What are you so happy about porn? <laughs> so happy about porn, just divulging my mind, raping it for hours. <laughs> it's just been, woo, it's just been so, I'm so much more social when I'm looking at porn. Just so much, I, I, I care and, and have such concern for my dating partner when we're dating, when I'm looking at porn. I mean, I mean, like who are we fooling? Who are we fooling? Sin is fleeting it's here one moment and gone the next y'all we people say sin ain't real we got science telling us we out here hurting our brains we're, we're literally destroying our brains off of what we're saying is not real we're all drawn to those fleeting pleasures do y'all ever grow up in the country enough to know what a bug zapper is y'all know i'm you know a bug zapper right that beautiful little purple light you're like, oh, yeah, mama got another bug. You know, ah, yeah, another one, baby. Yeah. Come on, mosquitoes, they're from hell. Ah, yeah, yeah, you know. You know, you see the, that's what the, that's what the bug does. You know, they're supposed to get flies. The fly sees it and it's like, whoa. Pretty light, pretty light, pretty light, pretty light, pretty light. Pretty. Oh, that's exactly what sin is, right? We're over here saying, oh, pretty light, pretty light. All my friends are doing it. Whoa, pretty light, pretty light. It's that fleeting. It's gone. It's gone. And somewhere along the line, Moses developed this kind of stick-with-it attitude because God's plan for his life, because he looked around and he saw everyone in Egypt is sad. Why is everybody waking up mad? Why, is everyone, why does no one have any joy? These parties are not what we think. We think they're not what we think they are. Like, sin is fleeting. I don't want to give my life to something that's fleeting. I don't want to give my life to something that's here today and gone tomorrow. I want to give my life to something that is sustaining, even if it's harder, even if it's more difficult. Why? Because the one who does the will of God lasts. Last forever. So my prayer for our church right now is, God, would you persuade us again of the fact that the fun of sin is fleeting. I need you to persuade me again. I need you to persuade me again. Emma Scrivener said these words. She said, when we are tempted, Satan distracts us from Christ's beauty. But when we sin, he distracts, distracts us from Christ's mercy. Isn't that true? You, when you are tempted, you don't see the beauty of Christ. You see a light that's going to zap you and you're distracted. But the moment you sin, then all of a sudden you don't see Christ's mercy and grace and you fall prey to condemnation. You fall prey to condemnation. Can we just be honest? If you're like me, listen, don't dismiss your sins like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, think about the sins that are actually temptations for you. If you're like me, the sins that actually tempt me, isn't it amazing how, how you can't recall how fleeting it was you did it when you did it last time? Like the sins that don't bother you, that aren't a temptation, you know how fleeting they are. But the ones that still tempt you, you forget of how fleeting that enjoyment was last time. So you think, oh, you know what? You keep telling yourself, now this is it. This is the time. I know it. When I indulge in it this time, it's going to be good. Now, we won't say that out loud because our Christian friends say, you're stupid. That's what we believe. Y'all, listen. Those live streaming and in here, there is not a person under the sound of my voice who has not had a lot of these moments. Oh, man, I feel so gross. Crap. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have gone there. Man, dang it. How in the world did I do that again? 
And you know what we need to ask? We need to ask the God of Moses if you can persuade a man in the midst of the opulence of Egypt and the rubies and the women and the luxuries and the temptations, if God can do it for the prince of Egypt, he can do it for me. He can come again and persuade me. The fun of sin is fleeting. God, persuade me again that the fun of sin is fleeting. Persuade me. And by the way, can I go ahead and tell you all real quick, when you don't feel too persuaded that your sin is fleeting, what you need to do is you need to find someone in your life that is really persuaded. That's what we do community for. That's why we got connect groups. Why? Because here's what you do in community. You go up to somebody and say, hey, brother, I'm really low on my persuasion tank right now. I'm beginning to think again that sin's actually pretty good and pretty lasting. Um, how you doing with sin right now? Oh, I'm doing good. Oh, that's great, man. Meet me for a coffee tomorrow because I need you to, with the, pre- the presence of God and the empowerment of the Spirit to help convince me and persuade me again that sin is fleeting. It's fleeting. It says in the last verse, verse 27, he endured as seeing him as invisible because he was not afraid of the king and his edict. I'm almost finished. Look, it says in the last verse, verse 27, now, now he said he was he was not afraid of the anger of the king. And I read that text and I, and I thought, okay, he left Egypt not being afraid. Mm. Mm. So I went back and found in Exodus 2. Let's see what Exodus 2 says. One day when Moses was grown up, he went out to his people, looked on their bird and saw the Egyptian beating Hebrew on his people. He looked this way, that way, seeing no one who struck him in the Egypt, hit him in the sand. Went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews struggling together. He said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your commandment? Why in the world are you beating him up? Why are you doing this? Look at the next text and he answered, oh, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. Time out. Writer Hebrews says, wasn't afraid of the king's edict. Exodus 2 Tells me Moses was afraid. What's going on? Is there a contradiction in Scripture? Or is there a tension in the text that communicates something to us about the human condition, what we have as humans? These Hebrews know good and well the story of Moses, y'all. They know the story where Moses killed an Egyptian. They know Moses was scared. And the writer said he left Israel, but he wasn't afraid. Yeah, right. He was scared. Yeah, there was fear, but I believe he's saying this. Are you ready? And this is my third point. I believe he's saying this. A lot of people, a lot of believers that I meet, that we, we interact with, that a lot of believers who believe or have divine persuasion, or they believe that divine persuasion and the walk of faith is the absence of any fear in your life. Some of us, we struggle with our walk with faith because the moment fear comes in, we think, you know what? We beat ourselves up that I must not be walking the walk of faith. No, listen, Craig, do you got leadership fears? Yeah. I got all these fears. And what happens is you become incarcerated by fear and worry and incarcerated by anxiety. Folks, y'all, it's the top prayer request in our church, anxiety, fear, top prayer request. And people are crippled by fear. Here is what happened in Moses' life, and here's what can happen in your life. You ready? God persuaded Moses that he was more real than Moses' fear. You want to stick with it? You're going to have to be persuaded that God's more real than the fears. That you experience. He's more real than the intimidations you have. He saw him who is invisible. That's an elegant way of saying Moses concluded that God was more persuasive than his fear. God was bigger than his fear. God could overwhelm his fear. God can overwhelm your fear. God is bigger, more grander. He can overwhelm his fear. So you got fear? Welcome to the party! We all have fears. But there is a God who's more real than your fear. And he can tell you to keep moving forward even when fear's screaming in the back seat. He can tell you to keep on moving forward even when anxiety keeps on talking to you from the back seat. Can we dispel this idea right now once and for all that there is an elite crew inside of Dwelling Place Church with no fear? can't remember the last time I felt fear. Listen, I'm not proud of my fears. I don't feed my fears. I don't want to focus on my fears. But I have fears. I have fears. I ain't going to focus on them. I ain't going to feed them. 
I got to train my mind to not think about them. But I don't tell y'all, I've never got much traction with any fear I've had by focusing on it and trying to get rid of it. That's not how you treat fear. You don't, you don't sit down for dinner. Hey, fear, can you and I just meet tonight? Okay, I'm tired of this crap. Okay. Now listen, fear. You come at the most inopportune times. You come when I least expect it. Play nice. Would you quit that? The moment you try to address fear, fear keeps growing. You know what you do? You have to ask God. Focusing on fear only grows my fear. I need a God to come and persuade me that He is bigger and more real than my fear. That's what I need. I need God to persuade me. He is more real than my fear. Craig, you don't know what fear I'm talking about. I'm talking about the one that, that, that makes you so so anxious. You can't. Sometimes it debilitates your life. I'm talking about that fear. I'm not talking about little fears. I'm not talking about worries about the future. I'm talking about big fears. He is bigger than that fear. That that fear, even though it seems so big and so loud, God is stronger than that fear. And God, I need you to come and persuade me again that you're larger than that worry and you're larger than that anxiety. We think God uses people when he takes all their fears away. If I could just get rid of this fear I'll be like well you ain't gonna be like them because what they are is fearful (laughs) and they just keep moving forward anyways and what happens is God persuades us here we are staring at our fear God's like hey 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 just look over here just look over here yeah but God look at look at look Right? Look over here. Oh, yeah, yeah, just look over. Hey, 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 hey. Eyes over here. Eyes on me. Eyes on me. Eyes on the prize. And we're thinking, but God, you, you, you don't, you see all this fear over here? I know, but look at me. Look how strong I am, right? Look how powerful I am. Look how mighty I am. Look at what I do. Just keep looking at me. Hey, look at my faithful record. Read my Bible. Look at my faithful record. Have I ever lost a battle? Is my ear deaf to any prayer of any saint? Have I ever come to a place where I faced a real challenge? Come on, just look at me. Keep focusing on me. And Moses, I know it sounds preachery, but Moses kept focusing on God even in the midst of his fear. And y'all, by the way, their fear had facts behind it. Our fear is often anxiety. Anxiety is a fear about the imminent future of things that won't happen it lies to us as a false prophet they had their homes being burned they had their lives cut and their heads cut off and they're saying to god god you're gonna keep allowing them to kill christians you keep allowing them you're not gonna have any more here in the roman empire and christianity is gonna fall on its face they're looking at god and saying god i got facts behind my fears and yet still they, the writer says hey look at moses look at moses he kept his eyes on god he endured because he saw him who was invisible y'all I guess I'm just here to tell you, I don't want to be a part of a church where we tolerate ever-increasing terror and fear, where we tolerate ever-increasing anxiety and worry. I want to be a part of a place that, yeah, we don't turn our deaf ear to fear, but we believe in a sovereign God, a God that's bigger than our fears. I wonder if today God could get a little bit bigger and our fears get a little bit smaller. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I believe we as a church are right on the precipice, right, of seeing move. More and more grace, more and more people, more and more praise that God has called us. He's not called us this far so that we're not transformed from glory to glory, that lives want to be changed. My God, I spent time in prayer this week, and I started thinking. I walked around that piece of property, and God, when I was 16 years old, 17 years old, he gave me a vision of seeing a local church ministry. People ask me all the time, what do you want to do? And I never knew it would come in church planning. And I said, I want a local hub of ministry where there are arms of ministry that are reaching to every context of the city. So if there's a battered women's shelter, there's a wing of the ministry. If there's one that are taking care of the orphans, there is a wing of that ministry. If those that are helping those that are less and marginalized and ostracized in the schools, let it be a wing. And I believe there's no way God would give that vision in our heart if he didn't want to do it. So what that means for us as a community is that there's going to come times very, very soon where we're going to be taking steps where fear is going to try to paralyze us. And what we need out of everyone is to say, I'm going to have endurance because I see him who is invisible and I'm a miracle and God put me here for such a time as this and God's persuaded me that sin is fleeting, the pleasures are gone and God is greater than any anxiety I experience it takes that, it takes that I mean it takes that for me as a leader, it takes that for you, God I want to endure 
Listen, y'all, God's not good because he gives us answer. God's good because he gives us himself. And he just keeps giving us himself. And even though I want an answer to my fear, he just keeps giving us himself. And what happens is there's strength building you. My God, I feel the spirit of the Lord. There's a strength. So, so seasons of life when you face the fear on your own with your own fortitude and your own strength and knowledge, what God does is he sends you in a greater battle. Why? Because the greater battle rips from you self-sufficiency and your own ability to fight the fear. And God just builds himself a little stronger in you. you know, oh, it hurts like hell. It hurts like hell. It sucks. It's not fun. It's not a fleeting pleasure. It's a horrible fear. Feeling, but God just keeps on feeling. Why? Because he wants your soul. He wants the source of your strength to be deep down within your soul so that no matter what comes your way, hell or high water, you know what? I'm able to be sustained because the sustainer, the originator and definer of all things has been formed in me. He's been formed in me. Christ has been formed in me. So what does that mean? Come on team. It means that faith for us, has to move from persuasion to action. Faith is an action. Faith is an action. You say, Craig, every person in this chapter, Hebrews 11, they're famous for their faith, right? But here's what's amazing. The writer, when the writer describes them, every one of them are, pre- are presented in terms of action. Because it says, by faith Noah built. By faith Abraham left. You see the verb? By faith Jacob blessed. By faith Joseph instructed. By faith, Moses chose. By faith, Joshua fought. Faith is synonymous with action. When I have divine persuasion, apart from action, there is no faith. You say, Craig, here's an interesting piece of trivia. I told you the the Greek word for faith is pistis, which literally means persuasion. The Hebrew word, interesting piece of trivia, the Hebrew word for faith, there is no noun for it. So everybody in Hebrews 11 were written down in history for something they didn't even have a name for. Because faith is only a verb in the Hebrew language. It's only a verb. What do you mean, Craig? I'm saying obedience is not something you do later down the road when you have faith. No, your belief doesn't become faith until you act on it. So anybody ever rock climbed before? Faith is not believing the rope's going to hold you. Faith is leaning back on the rope. It's not saying, oh, I believe that rope is strong. Oh, great faith. Oh, to worship you, rope I live. To worship you, rope I live. I live to worship you. Oh, I thank you that you died, rope, for me. No, no, no. Faith is saying I grab a hold of the rope and I lean back on it. I lean back on it. That's action. I trust it. I believe it. Faith takes a bold dare in the unseen. I, I finish At the end of this chapter, gosh. He says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell me. And then he gives us two groups. Everybody hold up one. Just hold up one like this. Listen to group one. You ready? Listen to them. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mountains of the line, quenched the, pop, the, the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, made strong of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fly. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Group one. Now do group two. But some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to newness of life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment, stones, sawn in two, killed with the sword, went about in skins of sheep, goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not wandering in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. These all died in faith, not having received the promise. What group you want to be in? You won't be in group one. Ain't nobody want to be in group two. But let me tell you something. You want great deliverance with their faith? Others died with nothing on earth that really validated their faith. And I guess I'm here to tell you something. If you as a believer require earthly validation of your faith, you won't make it. You won't make it. You have to endure as him who sees the invisible. As him who sees the invisible. That's faith. That's naked faith. But boy, it's faith. The life of faith requires confidence in a God you can't see. Woo! But one day your faith will give way to sight. And you'll see the one whom your heart has known well. That's faith. That's faith. Like Abraham, will you obey the commands? Like Moses, will you consider? Man, this temporary world's passing away. Y'all, look, 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 look. 3,000 years from now. We'll all be together in the presence of Jesus. 
and there'll be no need for faith because our faith will give way to sight. There'll be no need for hope or our hope gave way to realization. But there will be one thing that remains and that's love. That's why the greatest of these is love. Love here, love there, love in the kitchen, love everywhere. God so loved them. John 1, 4, in him was life. That means that, that no one killed Jesus. That means he had to be willing to give up his life because in him was life. And he willingly gave up his life so that you might receive his life. So how much more, how much more would God give us all things? How much more? Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.